Welcome, Tasty Meaning listeners. This week is going to be a very fun week. I'm just letting you know, over the next two episodes, y'all are going to be in a big surprise or be in for a big surprise. And to kick it off, we officially have launched the Taste of Meaning Instagram page. That is right. Come on, round of applause, everyone. Woo! Clap, Charlie, clap, come clap, on. clap, 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 clap. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so if you have an Instagram, and if you don't have one already, be sure to create one. But search Taste of Meaning, no spaces, obviously, and you'll be able to find our Instagram page where we'll be posting, you know, Taste of Meaning brand-related content. And just to give you a little, little taste, um, stay tuned. Be this same week. There might be some interesting posts coming out. Might be today, might be tomorrow, might be Wednesday, might be Thursday. So that's all we're gonna say. Basically covered all almost all the days of the week. <laughs> almost know? all, of, except for Friday to Sunday. Friday to Sunday, <laughs> something else. But yeah, just if you're if that's not gonna catch your eye enough, be sure to check out Taste of Meaning on Instagram. Give us a follow and stay tuned for some exciting news. But yeah. Kick it out to Charlie, who's going to let us know how he met our guests, and then we'll take our break, and then we'll actually meet our wonderful guest today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely speaking of Instagram, the power of Instagram itself, I really feel like Instagram and a lot of social media nowadays makes it so much easier to connect with people and to learn about things that are going on where it allows you to then connect with people. So our guest today, I actually, I remember when I was reading an article um, in the New York Times. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. They're talking about different um, Lao food, Lao culture, Lao community. And I was like, huh, like there's a lot of food mentioned and restaurants mentioned in this article that I've never tried, but I would love to. And I, I from there, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let me, um, it, it led me to this person's Instagram. And I, f- I ended up following them just to kind of see like, hey, what types of events or what types of food um, are they uh, cooking? And then one day this person posted like, hey, um, there's supposed to be an event this upcoming weekend and it got canceled and I have a whole bunch of food. <laughs> so I was like, cool. So I reached out to this person, just direct message them. And I was like, hey, I'd love to try your food. You know, how, how can I do this? You know, made my way out to, to um, pick up the food and amazing, amazing Lao food because it, it connected with me like what I grew up with in terms of one of the dish was um, boat noodles. And it was something that, you know, my my family would make, um, you know, within sort of the, the Thai culture. However, you know, the taste reminded me of what my family made, but also even beyond that, like what felt a little bit more iconic to the Lao culture, which I think we'll hear more about that from our guests. And then we also, I also tried, you know, a dish that was a mix of papaya salad, sticky rice, and then sort of like a, a, like a grilled uh, sausage. And then another one that had like a grilled um, chicken. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this food is incredible. I can't wait to try some of his other foods that he has within like different pop-ups in LA. So I'm definitely looking forward to talking more to our guests, learn about his culture, what he wants to uplift about the Lao community. And just really learning about him and what, what inspired him to go into cooking and, and being able to, um, you know, highlight what means a lot to him about his cooking as well as his culture. And I think that's really important because like we've had a, we've had a chef before on this podcast that spoke about, you know, the vegan culture when it came to like preparing food, especially for like high profile um, clients. So like hearing about this like specific culture that is definitely underrepresented here in L.A., coming from someone who lived that identity is gonna be so much like fun and like very informational for us yeah Yeah. well 
we don't want to take any more time. So we're going to take a short break and we'll come back for our guests. Have you ever wondered, wow, that was an amazing conversation they had on the podcast. Honestly, I have more thoughts. So you can actually tell us your thoughts by using the Q&A section on Spotify when listening to Taste of Meaning. That's right. You can actually visit that Q&A section on each of our episodes where we have a Q&A posted and you can respond to the question itself or you can let us know what happened to the podcast and if you had any for your thoughts. So be sure to check out Spotify and you visit that Q&A section for Taste of Meaning episodes moving forward. Thank you. I'm going to pass it over to Charlie to introduce our guest for today. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very, very happy um, to be able to bring on our guest, uh, Tip. You know, I I talked about in in our introduction um, before this, you know, just how I met him. But some other things I wanted to highlight about um, him is just the the different ways that he was featured in some of the um, you know different articles, like I mentioned before, New York Times, LA Magazine, LA Times, Eater LA, Voyage LA, and Shout Out LA. I think it's he's very you know well-known, I would say, within the LA scene, uh, from what I can tell. And then also, you know, other aspects about him that I learned was just that um, he's very much involved in what, what he deems as social entertainment and culture, which we can learn a little bit more about him in a little bit. And, uh, I, and I think what's great is that he's involved in not only just sort of like um, the food business, uh, but also in terms of um, booking events with like weddings, Lao cultural affairs, different events. Um, you just telling me a couple minutes ago that, you know, you booked an event um, with like Lao New Year's upcoming up. So I, I think it's really cool that you're very immersed in just sort of the culture and, and different events around that. I think the one thing that stood out to me from kind of reading about you, you, you call yourself Lao Martha Stewart, which we got to get into that. I think that's really, really awesome. So that's what I know of you. And, and I would love to learn more about you, um, which is a brief introduction tip. Let me turn it over to you. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm glad I was invited here. It's really exciting. I've never done a podcast, but this is, I think, a really cool show. It's a really cool platform, and it's definitely right up everything that I do, right? So when you told me about it, I was really excited to do it. But yeah, my name's Tip, or Tar Tip Solisak, and I live out here in Orange County currently, but but I usually spend most of my time in LA, and I, that's where I do a lot of my food pop-ups which is what I think most people know me for. It's what a lot of the magazines and the newspapers are writing about, which is my Lao food adventure. And I also do a lot of social work in the, and Lao advocacy work in the community, working on more like preserving culture as well as how to do culture in a way that, that is long-term, that preserves it for the long-term, but also in a way that benefits and brings economic like prosperity to my community by showing them how to do things where it does build and create ways that kind of like bring other businesses in other people in and that grows the community to be a lot stronger um and i also enjoy doing a lot of like fabrication and artwork so crafting design um, building stuff which is all, all those things combined basically make me a great wedding planner. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I dwell in that world too. So a lot of different things. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think that's what's cool. It's like you're, you're totally involved in, in beyond just the food aspect of it. And it sounds like, you know, you, there, there's so many different ways that like 
food intersects with it, but it's also like, like you said, the entertainment aspect of it, the culture uplifting aspect of it. Um, I mean, like, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like what, what got you into to doing all that? Like what, what really sort of put you on that path to, to being involved in all that? I think there was a lot of moments throughout my younger life, like that I can remember that probably like dropped a little like cultural aspects into me that just kept me inspired to keep doing it and it just snowballed upon itself. Um, I grew up in a house that was very cultured in the sense that back in Laos, my family used to be a very well-off family. And so cultural activities and inviting community into our house was very important. And then doing things culturally correct was very important to them because they wanted to appear like a good social entertaining family, you know? And, and so I learned a lot of those aspects from etiquettes to Lao culture, how to entertain in a Lao cultural way, you know? Um, and then growing up with two grandmas in the house and they were very cultured in the fact that they like to do a lot of traditional crafts that women did throughout history, whether it be like traditional floral arrangements or just setting up ceremonial spots, things like that. And so, so I learned all those things growing up really young. And then I think it was more like my middle school years that my mom started to tell me about the story of her refugee experience. And one of the lines she said to me, and I'm sure you could find this in an interview somewhere else, but she, she mentioned to me like, she came over here as a refugee with nothing and all she could bring was her culture and her traditions and her spiritual beliefs. And so that, that just kept me more motivated to continue that, that work. Uh, no, that, that's incredibly meaningful. Um, I think a lot of times, especially um, with like folks who are coming from like Southeast Asia, like the, there is a lot of that aspect of just like, hey, you know, like I, we want to go to, you know, uh, America, the States. And then like, there's still that part of it, like our culture is so important and we want to bring that over and, and, and continue the generations moving forward with that culture as well. And I know that's how I grew up too, like with my family from um, Bangkok. It's just like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel growing up was infused with culture, but also, if, you know, also having like American culture mixed with that. But I feel like now I'm starting to really tap in a little bit more to my culture and um, I think that's really the the beauty of, of sort of growing up with that yeah I, th I think it's an amazing thing when, when you know that cultural aspects and and if you're in an area of business like cultural food where where you know how to bring that in the right way and understanding the balance between the two because I think the way people set up their Lao or Asian restaurants can be a hit and miss sometimes just by how they set it up culturally you know, and because we, the way we eat food at home in our, at our Lao table or at our Thai table or, or what, whatever our ethnicity might be, is a different way than we're serving food in restaurants. We tend to serve food in a Western way, which is like the appetizer entree and dessert kind of mentality. And, and so when people come to my pop-ups and they're like, well, this is being served differently, but in some ways it's hitting differently as well. And that's kind of what I think understanding culture and what makes our food so great, great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I think as you're sharing all these different like nuances, um, I think that's really what we want to try to uplift as much as possible throughout this episode. So yeah, continue to, to share more about that. I think our audience would love to hear about that. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think, you know, our, our first segment that we always like to bring up is, is really tied to food and, and sort of like how we can start our conversation with food. And so um, for you, like what, what food do you sort of most connect with? Um, I know, you know we'll kind of get into Lao food, but then, you know, what, what's just some foods that you feel most connected with either growing up or that's your favorites? Um, I would say when it comes to savory foods, I think seafood is always on the top of my list. Crab being the, the most on top of my list. Um, even snaring it down more like Maryland, like Chesapeake Bay, like blue crabs. Mm. <laughs> and I, th I think that's because I grew up in the Washington DC area. Mm. And when a, a big barrel of crab was brought out, that was always, you know, like a sign of something fun about to happen. And so I, I love the Chesapeake Bay blue crabs. Um, if you've never had them, you definitely should. I know there's blue crabs in grocery stores, even out here in California, but it tastes so different. They look exactly the same, but they taste so different. So if you ever get over there, make sure you try that out. But as far as my second, I, that just comes to mind and I think I'm addicted to is just ice cream. But I'm also not like a, um, adventurous ice cream eater i like the basics i like vanilla chocolate things like that like i always say you know like can we keep all that other stuff out of my ice cream like I, not not to diss anybody's ice cream company but cold stone was never my favorite just because they had so much stuff in the ice cream and all i wanted was like a basic vanilla you and so, martin will get along very well then so do you <laughs> mess with thrifty ice cream what's that do you like thrifty ice cream yeah, I actually do. Yeah. See, Charlie, it's you the best a follower. One. You have a follow. It's the best one, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah, I I I mean I I can honor um thrifties and 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 sort of like the, the simplicity of, of ice cream. And I would say like for me, I, I go a little bit more adventurous. I, I don't like wholesome to be honest. I, I think there's just too much going on there. However, I don't know if this is contradictory. I I, I really like salt and straw, which is a little bit more daring when it comes to, to ice cream flavors and, and ingredients. So I'll throw that out there for our sponsor, Salt and Straw. <laughs> Not really, but hopefully one day. I, I think there's nuances, right? Like, but but then again, I'm also of like the department that doesn't really like boba balls in my drink. <laughs> oh <laughs> no! I don't. All do, right, I we're, don't do we're the pearls. okay. This is gonna be a problem. <laughs> Charlie, you know I don't like chewing those things. I just want to drink. Yeah. My drink. Like what if I want to drink, I want to drink, right? Yeah. <laughs> if I want to eat a tree, I'll go eat a tree. <laughs> I'm clearly on the wrong podcast right now. This is not hit. This is not going well for me. <laughs> uh, jokes aside, but yeah, no, I. I what, what? Okay, I, I have to ask. What? What? What is it about boba that doesn't appeal to you? I'm really curious. I, I think. I think. I mean just drinking boba i usually want something refreshing right I'm, I'm there for a drink like i said i'm not there to eat something and if i am going to eat a, tr a treat i probably wouldn't choose boba balls to pop in my mouth i probably choose something else <laughs> I mean, they're not horrible i understand why they're there and i understand why people might like them but if i was i in my head they're two different things that are being put into one. One is a beverage, one is a, a chewing food. And, and if I'm gonna chew on a snack, I just, it just wouldn't be boba balls. I've heard, I've heard that before. So, yeah. What's your go-to boba order? 
like, um, you know, tea order, I guess, suppose. Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, sorry. Tea order. My bad. I haven't had boba in forever, but if I could remember, my favorite in my 20s was always, like, taro. What? Taro, or there was always a, I think it was, like, mocha. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a chocolate frappuccino, but, like, the boba version. Yeah. Probably, like, caramel, something, something, something. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we, we, we used to hang out in front of Tapioca Express almost every single day in our in our 20s. It was boba and those little fried chicken. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> popcorn chicken. <laughs> yeah, popcorn chicken. There we go. Yeah, that was definitely a whole vibe for sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, going into food a little bit more, like, you know, you mentioned these are some things that you enjoy but also things that you kind of grew up with you know growing up in um you said the dc area so then like it over in that area was there much um i guess lao food or lao culture within that area or you know just growing up um it's in the i think for for when we're talking about like community wise like when you talk about the lao community in virginia they're one of the smallest populations and i'm not sure how resettlement happened for lao people but it seems like similar families, like if they lived in certain communities back in Laos, they were kind of resettled back into the same areas in the United States. So like people who were in the same community in Laos might all be in Fresno, you know, and, and they're all kind of neighbors. They were neighbors then and they're kind of neighbors now, or they're in close proximity to the those types of, you know, those similar people around their area. And, and the Virginia community, interestingly is very small however it's a community of very highly educated Lao people from from back then I mean education probably wasn't the, the biggest thing and probably the majority of people weren't weren't getting higher education back in Laos during the 60s and 70s especially not women but Virginia somehow got a really small population but a really highly educated population and so they, that, I think that ability to be higher educated helped them build the community quicker and, and kind of create a cultural center. And so in that aspect, I did get a lot of culture, even though it's one of the smaller populations, just because there was a cultural center. There was a place that everybody was going and not just from Virginia, but because we were one of the first to ever build a center as such a lot of people would constantly be visiting us from other states just to see what we did because they, they haven't done something that's similar at, the at that time. And so I got to taste a lot of different foods, a lot of different cooking from all over the country. And we, we would get visitors from all over the world, France, Canada, just to come and visit us. And it was always interesting to see all those different cuisines because I'm sure, I'm sure back in Laos, back then in the 60s and 70s because there are regional cuisine so if you went to Laos they probably didn't know of the different dishes from other regions because they just live in their one community but in the United States because we're kind of mixed now you know we've all come here different people from different areas are kind of living nearby each other we're now tasting other people's regional cuisines and so that's always fun too. Yeah, and, and I'm sure like through that, there's there's sort of like some influences that that kind of go back and forth and, and, and being able to kind of 
sometimes incorporate some some different food tastes and, and food ingredients um, through yeah. some of that mixing. Yeah, and it's not just it's not even just other Lao regions, but it's also just being in closer proximity to having like Thai neighbors and Cambodian neighbors that that you know changes up how the way we cook things too. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, I don't. I don't know if you've read my interview where I, I say I don't make traditional Lao food. I make traditional refugee Lao food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, can you talk more about that? Like, what 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 does that um, entail? What does that mean for you? Well, I, I think it's it, kind of what we were just talking about, where we're in a different community. We re, when we came and we resettled into this country. We're, we have to, you know, you might get your cravings and you have to find ways to satisfy those cravings, but you might not have the same ingredients. So you might be substituting a Thai basil with an Italian basil. You might be substituting a traditional tomato something with a tomato paste or ketchup. And, and so you get this whole new type of way of preparing traditional food that is not being prepared that way in Laos. And and probably not recognize. And it's different too. If you go throughout the, the United States, you'll find different ways that people adapted. And uh, almost everybody in that community does it that way, but nobody else from a different area does it that way. So when I was living in Virginia, I didn't realize like, like um, people in California were eating something with like all cabbage or something like that. And when I came over here and I was like, you guys eat this dish with cabbage. and. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's it's the way we enjoy it, you know, and it's what they've adapted to. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I mean, what, were there any, I guess, uh, foods that you had a lot growing up, like you know, either like you know, any Lao food you had growing up a lot, um, you ate a lot growing up, or was there any ones that like you want to really highlight um, for our guests, uh, for our, our listeners uh, through this podcast? Any of we're talking about the 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 items that I really um coin as refugee Lao food. I think the original refugee Lao dish would have to be my sukiyaki. Mm. Um because my mom actually made it in the refugee camp. Okay. <laughs> yeah in the in the refugee camp there were actually a few food stalls for people to buy food and and my mom oversaw one of them and it just happened to be a sukiyaki noodle booth. And so she continues to make that dish till today, and I've taken on and I, I bring it to my pop-ups. So I would I would say that is that is more that is really a refugee dish. But also, um, there's another item that you'll see on my menu a lot, which is a dessert. It's a like it's a namwan kalachong or luomit, which is like a mix of tapioca no noodles that are made made by dripping. Uh, tapioca mixture and in there you'll see something that you don't see back in Laos, Thailand or any of the places that make sendal which is like we put in a lot of canned fruit so there's canned jackfruit there's canned uh, lychees and longans and rambutans and that is I think more of the refugee side of things it was trying to make those type of desserts but not having all the fresh fruits and ingredients so we just would throw in a bunch of different favorite like canned fruits. Yeah, and I think in the, especially in the early 70s or 80s when most of the Lao refugees got here, we didn't have the abundance of fresh fruit that we, we probably do now. 
all the tropical fruit that we can see even at American grocery stores that come from Southeast Asia. We didn't have any of those. So it was all like canned. Oh, yeah. I mean, just you bringing that up, like it's bringing me back some memories from childhood just because I, I remember like we would always have that in our pantry, like like all those canned fruits that you just talked about. And to, to a certain extent, like even now when I would have like the fresh version of it, it, I don't know, it doesn't appeal to me as much as the canned version of it. It's just because like I grew up with it and the flavor mm -hmm. of it is just like, oh my gosh, like I actually prefer the canned flavor as opposed to the, the uh, like the actual fruit itself, which is kind of strange, but I, it's what I grew up with. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a certain like application process, right? For certain dishes that you're eating where you want that same flavor that you remember growing up eating. And, and there's certain times where you want the fresh fruit. Like if I eat it straight up, I usually want the fresh fruit. But when I start cooking it in dishes, I kind of want that dish to taste like the way I remember that dish. So I'll go back to like canned items. Yeah. I will admit that this whole time you were explaining the different foods you grew up eating and I was like searching them up on my phone right now. I was kind of like, wow, I'm missing out on so many different dishes. Like yeah. for someone like me who isn't like able to cook it themselves, are there any places you recommend us visiting to eat it or would you be the one who should be eating with? <laughs> uh, if, if you're talking about Lao food in particular, the exciting thing about Lao food is that there's a lot of restaurants opening up almost every month, mm -hmm. which I would say before this past year, there was probably only a handful and those only came into existence within the last like five years. Because before, Lao, Lao food was never on the map. And I think, I think Lao people just are a little more timid to start and open businesses. And they, our food, our food on some level is less, I could say less beautiful in a physical sense. Like it, it, we use a lot of darker coloring and sauces, not coloring, but sauces that are darker in color. And so the color like brown and blacks and things like that, that we don't usually see in most people's food. It's, it exists in our food a lot. And, and I think that always made people shy about presenting their food. So it wasn't until this last few years where the Lao food movement or, or several Lao restaurants just really were vocal about being Lao and proud of it. And these restaurants got instant like, like credibility, you know, like, and, and, and the cool thing is you can see a lot of old Thai restaurant owners are actually owned by Lao people. And they started to switch their menu from Thai to Lao and then their restaurants start to pick up. Not to say that they were doing bad Thai food, but it just means that there's so many Thai options out there already where there's so limited Lao options. And so when people see, oh, there's something Lao going on, I need to get to it right now because I won't be able to get to it later on. Or there's not another one for miles, right? And so when, when I do Lao food in LA, I'm the only one that has the most regular schedule, which is still pretty irregular as far as somebody who's bringing Lao food to LA. There is one in the Valley, which I don't consider that central LA, but some people can. So LA County. <laughs> and so there's um, Kop Jai Lai up in Granada Hills. And then there's a few in Orange County. So if you're if you want to experience Lao food, there's Yangchen Thai Lao, there's 
um, Royal Elephant, um, Milk's Kitchen is opening up soon. And I believe Banana Leaf is also serving some wild dishes. And those are all in Orange County. Unfortunately, in Central LA, there still isn't one. Maybe I'll be the first. We'll see. <laughs> and that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely put those links in the, the podcast description for sure for people to go try out some of the different restaurants. Yeah, I, yeah. I love how you brought up just sort of the, how for most people, they, they do see and they do experience a lot of Thai food. And, and, and I, I started, I think I was reading one of the articles um, recently that kind of talked about that, like, like Thai food, Thai culture, it's, it's out there, people recognize it, people like say like oh yeah you know i love getting thai food and all that such and and i think that part of it it's it sort of you know in a way at least how i've seen it you know you, you may have a different take on it but i feel like it overshadows some of the other um other cultures within southeast asia that i think has some really great culture and and food as well and especially that i would love to to see more people be immersed in that um and so i, I think that's something like i think through experiencing your food, hearing you talk about Lao culture and Lao food, like it, it gets me excited because like I, I, I having experienced your food, I, I love it and I want to try more. And I, it gives me an opportunity to learn more about the culture as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think a, a lot of people are familiar with Thai food. I, um, I believe in the early 1900s, I believe Thailand really put on a huge marketing campaign for their food. And that's where Pad Thai came from. Pad Thai is fairly a new dish. It's fairly a young dish, but it was, it was for the purpose of marketing to non-Thai people. And so that's Thailand as a government and whole went on that marketing campaign. And so that's how I think they were able to bring so much recognition to their food, which is amazing. But I, I think people who are just stuck in the, the American Thai food realm are missing out on not just other ethnicities, but, but even regional Thai food. There's so many regions to Thai food from Chiang Mai all the way to, I, I love all the Muslim dishes in the South of Thailand. Like Khao Mokai is like one of my favorite dishes. And, and it's one of the dishes that you can probably not really find anywhere. I think one restaurant serves it in LA. And it's a Muslim dish, it's a halal dish, and it's a biryani, which you would never think of Thai food. But when you combine all the Thai ingredients with, with the Muslim culture, it, it just becomes something amazing. And so, so yeah, I, I, think, I think people should definitely be more adventurous and explore more uh, other ethnic groups as well as other regions of Thailand. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and I think even in through, through, through my experience of you know finding out about um, you through the the article, but also like following you on on Instagram, like that's just sort of one one way that people can be adventurous. It's just sort of like be willing to to try things that you know maybe pop up through an article or or even discover people through Instagram and and really um, find a way to to connect with people or connect with their food. And they're they're going to be surprised. Like, I mean, there's some great food out there that is is yet to be discovered or yet you know people have yeah. you know, had a chance to experience yeah and and some of the best food isn't the one that has all the raving yelp reviews Some, mm -hmm. sometimes those small regions of cuisine are in those little mom and pop restaurants that 
that came from those regions. Because for the most part, the big popular ones that you see get, getting a lot of reviews, those are the ones with more of the all-inclusive menu of like pad thai and things that you see at most restaurants. But when you go into like the smaller mom and pops, you'll find those little ethnic like, like gifts that they give you in their food. I know um, definitely as, as we transition now from food to, to, to now learning a little bit more about yourself and just kind of your journey. Um, I, I, and this is something that I always am, am very wanting to learn more about people, even through their family, their, their culture, but also even um, their, their given name. And so I know for me, like um, my, my, my name is Chachai and then my middle name is Charlie. And so like, you know, Chachai is, is meaningful for me through, my family, um, my dad's name has Chai in it, my brother's name has Chai in it. And so I think there's a connection there. Um, but I'm kind of curious, like for, for you, like it, um, what, what, what does your name signify? What is your, the meaning of your name? Um, tar to, tara means water, right? Uh, and I think it means water in both Thai and Lao. Mm -hmm. um, and tip means kind of like gifted, like sixth sense, like blessed. Uh, like a third eye kind of kind of deal so it's kind of like blessed water or gifted water mm. and I don't know how my dad my dad's the one that chose this name before I was born and he didn't even know what gender I was and he's just like I'm gonna go with this name regardless of what gender tip is um but I know I know in Thailand it's a very feminine name so when Thai people see my name they're kind of like oh okay it's kind of like having it's kind of like being a leslie in the u.s like, like you know like it's a, most people associate it with a female but there's a lot of guys named leslie and and i think tar tips kind of the same way in, in laos it's not the same in laos it's still it's it's non-binary <laughs> and and so so i i love the name i grew up in northern virginia where I would say 80% of the population around me was Caucasian. And, and on, I remember going to school on the first days and they were doing roll call. And those were always like the days that I dread the most because my teacher's always gonna butcher tar tip. And I, I think till this day, they'll still butcher tar tip. <laughs> but, and so I was always kind of embarrassed by that name, but now that I've come up and kind of like created my own brand and into my own, you know, I call myself Lao Martha Stewart. I, I'm happy that I have a name like Tarzan because he's, there's not really, there's probably one or two other people that might have that name, but, but I pretty much claim that name like wholeheartedly and, and it really stands out differently. And I, I use it multiple different ways. There's sometimes I'll be like, this is made by Tara. Sometimes I'll be like, I use my nickname as Tip. Sometimes if I want to be really formal on an invitation card, I'll say tar tip. So, so I use it very creatively and artistically. It's a stage name. It's a real name, but it's a chef name. So it's all the above. And I'm, I'm glad I have it now. That's so awesome. I, I love hearing that. Cause I, I think, you know, sometimes like, like that, that same experience growing up, like roll call, it sucked. I mean, there's, you, you, I, I look back nowadays and wonder like, how can you butcher this name? Like it's it, like, as you see it, it's like, you just kind of read it what it says, but people come up with the most outlandish, wild ways of saying a name. And yeah, I think now it's just like, you know what? Like being able to embrace the name and, and, and almost like own it, like it, it's so meaningful in that sense. 
Yeah, I think I think when it comes to pronouncing of names, like I, I know I have a lot of silent H's in my name because it's Tartip, but every T has a H behind it basically. And so if you were to pronounce it correctly by by the way you read it, it would be Tartip, right? Mm. But I would think 80% of people don't even attempt to get that, which was <laughs> I mean, it's not insulting to me that you got my name wrong. It's insulting to me that you didn't even try to read it. You know? Yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but, but I'm okay with it now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, the next uh, sort of question I, I had for you was really, um, you, I mean, you, you did talk a, a little bit about this already. It's just like sharing more about your culture and what your culture means to you. you you mentioned a lot of things in terms of, you know, um, your family, you know, with the refugee um, food and, and sort of the upbringing, like, are there other aspects of your culture um, and sort of how you connect to it that you'd want to uplift? Um, sorry, could you repeat that question? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I feel like that was a big question. I know it was a big question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, anything more about your culture or um, what your culture means to you that you'd want to uplift or share? I, I think I think being in the cultural world, you know, I, there's, I think, I think if anybody's following my work and following like my personal Instagram and seeing all the different things that come out, it's it's an area that most people probably would have thought is boring, is dead end, it's outdated, but it's because of my embrace of my culture and my understanding of it that it's benefited me in so many different ways. Um, um, in in career-wise, I do get hired to do a lot of Lao cultural events. So I get hired to do weddings and, and funerals and pageants and things like that that come traditional with the culture and I get to do a lot of fun things that give me a lot of credibility in my community and outside of my community as well. Other, uh, I do, I'm an expert at Lao New Year. And so when I pull off those traditions, other cultures from neighboring communities, like, like our Thai friends and our Cambodian organizations also recognize me for the same type of work. And, and so it gives me a lot of pull in those aspects. It gives me a lot of network. And as well as being in the cultural area, I, I, when Raya, before Raya came out, I was able to, they invited me to help them do a traditional Lao blessing. So, so I'm probably one of the only people that has ever blessed Disney in that way. And, and having a traditional Lao blessing within Disney studios. Um, there's a show that's about to come out on Netflix that I don't know how much I'm allowed to speak about, but but I'm sure it's safe to say that that I am the cultural expert on that show. It's a it's a series with like nine episodes, and and so it was really cool to do that. You know that job came because I did I do embrace my culture, and I I you know, and I'm given and now. Now, after that job, I could actually say I'm officially like the only person in this country that's considered a Lao cultural expert, <laughs> you know, like, like by my job title, not not me giving it to myself or but just because that's kind of what my job title says, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and and so that's 
yeah, I, I when I was in Netflix, I got to do a lot. I got to experience a lot of different things. I got to sit in the director's chair and speak with her. I got to be in the costume department. So anybody who wants to be in Hollywood, you know, like there is a path just as a culture expert, you don't, you know. And so there is a cool element to it too. It's not just outdated because I'm sure being from different ethnicities as well, I think both of you, you could, you probably have some experience about how the younger generation kind of shies away from doing culture activities because it's not as cool or as relevant anymore. And so I think me being in this world and showing them how to do it in this way is, is a really fun way. And I hope, I hope it gets other people in there because if we don't do it, then, then it is, a very much a decline in our in our culture. I think I think for the Lao community in particular, it's it's highly vital because because a lot of people who who were refugees to this country were people of knowledge and people who worked in the cultural elements and and so a lot of our really old school culture, a lot of our our deep profound culture is outside of Laos. I think Thailand's a little bit different because they didn't experience that diaspora of having, you know, to be refugees. And so they're able to keep up their culture from within and outside of their country really well. But but for I think Lao people, the the heart of the culture is around the world. And and therefore if we let it fade out around the world, then there's not that much left in Laos too. I mean, Laos definitely has a piece of it, but but they don't have the whole piece. And so I think it is our job around the world to kind of like keep those pieces alive that we, we hold. Saw Martin's face light up when you talked about Disney. So I, I'm sure he wants to follow up with that. <laughs> oh, no, nothing particular. I just think that's amazing that like the way you're involved and you're very proud of your background and ethnicity and it turned into so many different like opportunities and avenues to get into like more work and like career path related goals. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's not it's not something that I ever predicted. And even yeah. I, I used to kind of be hard on myself and be embarrassed, like why am I like the non-cool kid that's like sitting around doing cultural stuff while everybody's out like playing and at the clubs and things like that. But but now but now I think I am like the cool kid on the block, you know, like by by the things that I'm doing, like I could I could say very proudly, you know, like I, I went to Disney Studios and and I was invited there and I, I did these certain activities and, and I'm sitting next to a well-known director or whatever. And, and that all comes because of my knowledge of culture. That's amazing. I have nothing else to say. That's just purely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah, what's interesting is that like, through, through our conversation today, you, you've actually covered a lot of what I was going to ask inherently. Uh, I think the last part maybe I, I had was really learning a little bit more about um, what do you want others to know more about, you know, the Lao community or, or even Buddhism? Because um, I, I remember you, I read that through an article, um, you talked a little bit about that too. Like, what, what would you want others to know? What would you want listeners to know more about the culture or the, um, the community? I think I think the culture it's it's I mean if, if people enjoy culture if people enjoy art I think Laos is one of the oldest cultures that uh, even predate 
predate a lot of their their neighboring cultures that that are well known now and and so if you we want to find the roots of things and we want to understand where our favorite dishes came from i think laos is definitely a really fun place to explore i think there's archaeology digs that are dating things up to even 10,000 years old back in Laos right now and so so I think there's a lot of cool elements I think I think it's also worth worth noting the experience of, of Lao people who came over here and and how they evolved and they connected over here it's a really fun community and it's a like I think when we talk about social entertainment uh, I think that's where I get my entertaining skills from you'll if you ever join any Lao dinner party or a Lao event or a Lao festival, you'll probably come home having a lot of fun and really drunk as well, you know, and really full. And so, so it's a really fun, loving community that I think I think everybody should experience at least once. And and I'm sure I'm sure everybody's located next to a Lao community somewhere. They just have to Google it. So. That's amazing. Um, as far as Buddhism, I, it's it is my culture that led me to Buddhism. I, Laos is, for, for the most part, a Buddhist ethnic group, and and there are different elements within Lao culture that, but for I would say ninety percent of Lao culture is is Buddhist related, and they're trying to send a Buddhist message or a Buddhist teaching and. I would say even Lao people don't really recognize those because they, they follow it more like a ritual practice or a cultural practice. But me sitting here digging through cultural research for hours and hours, I realized the connection all comes back to the same place, which is they're pointing towards Buddhism. Uh, and that's, and that, that was really impactful for me when I went through things really hard in my life. Um, I always practice Buddhism culturally as well. I didn't practice it as a spiritual belief or I didn't, I didn't implement the meditation methods and the techniques, but there was a really rough time in my life only a few years ago after my first Lao food business doing beef jerky that, that I was, you could say I was really, really going through a rough time where I would cry at almost every, every 10 minutes, you'd catch me crying. And and it took me going back to the foundations that were brought to me by my culture and Buddhism to really understand life, understand the truth behind life and pull, pull myself out of it, you know, and not relying on external forces or things to, to bring that for me, but really practicing in a way that, that now I could say I am, for the most part, I'm, I'm happy, you know, and, and shit still happens every day. There's nothing really different. Shit still comes up, but they're less, they're less harmful to me. You know, they, they carry less burden, they carry less weight. And, and I, think, I think that's the amazing thing about, you know, Lao culture or Buddhism, Lao culture leading you to Buddhism and then Buddhism really teaching you a method that, that makes you carry less baggage and helps you find a way to to be genuinely joyful throughout life. Hey yo, Taste Me and listeners, did you know on Spotify and Apple Podcasts you can actually leave us a rating? Yeah, that's right. So if you want to help grow this podcast even more, be sure to visit Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us the rating and give us as high as a score you think we deserve. I say give us five stars, and honestly, you probably should. 
So please be sure to check out both Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating. And please enjoy the rest of this episode. I love everything you were sharing. To be honest, you got really like honest with us and I really appreciate that. <laughs> so again, just thank you for like having you on today so far. So yeah, I just want to say thanks. No worries. I, I, I think I try to be genuinely honest in, mm-hmm. in the things that I do. I, I think that is a part of the Buddhist practice. Um, um, if I could just tell you about my Buddhist practice a little bit, there's something called the five precepts, which are somewhat like commandments. It's like no killing, no lying, no stealing. And a few years ago, I decided to really commit to those precepts. And all of them are pretty easy. I don't really kill. I don't really steal people's wives. And I don't, you know, like I'm, I I used to drink a lot, but just it's so painful now that I automatically kind of stopped from drinking as much as I did. So I'm, for, for the most part, my precepts are pretty, pretty solid, except for one. There's, there's one precept that says no lying. Oof. And I mean, I think, I think what we don't realize in most of ourselves is we lie all the time, even if it's, they're not malicious or they're not big lies. But when I started implementing it, I would say the first few months was extremely hard because even when like little things, like people will be like, oh, how are you today? And you'd be like, oh, I'm great. You might not be, that, that's technically a lie, you know? And so it really took me practicing that, that precept wholeheartedly and, and, and now I think I'm really honest in every aspect. If you ask me if I, I might be like, I'm stressed out, but I'm also okay with that because I recognize it, you know? <laughs> I might not just be like, oh, I'm great. And just leave it alone. Yeah, we lie all the time. You should, you should give yourself, everybody should test themselves by just, just like trying not to lie for like a week. But then you'll also- even a day. Yeah. An hour. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, the great thing is like a relief comes with it afterwards because not only do you stop lying, but you adjust yourself so you don't have to lie. So if you know that you're someone who's constantly late and blames traffic, you because you can no longer lie and, and it's embarrassing to just flat out admit I'm, I was late because I'm late, then you start to attempt to get up earlier. And so like, your routine and your practice start to change. And so it's a really good, I think, productive practice, just not to lie because not only are you like I said not lying but you become a better person for yourself too yeah yeah it, okay so I, I think we we sort of you know got into this with without even thinking that we're gonna get into this because uh, so we have yeah. a part at the end of our show called the mental health check-in and in a way you kind of like talked a little bit about that like being able to sort of like honor our own experiences and and, and staying true to that um and in a way that kind of ties into a little bit of like mental health that, that we try to uplift, which is how do we find ways in our day-to-day to get get a little bit more in tune with our mental health, um, especially nowadays with so many things going on. Um, I mean, is there anything even alongside what you've talked about so far that you feel that you'd want to bring up in regards to mental health or just sort of like how do we how do we approach that a little bit more intentionally each day? I think, I think from what I see for most people and that I recognize in myself is that we tend to think everything's permanent. We tend to think this bad day will last forever. We tend to think our mistakes will last forever. We tend to think this person who's really upsetting us is gonna last forever. 
but everything's a, everything comes and go and, and everything comes to an end eventually. So I think if we have that truth, like if we realize that wholeheartedly, we, we tend to let the go of things a lot easier. And, and we tend to let go of not just good, bad occasions, but good occasions as well. We kind of we realize that we should enjoy it in the moment, but we also realize that, that there is gonna be an ending to it. I think, I think the lie in this, especially the Western world is that, that once you get to there, whatever there is for you, it might be the best job, it might be the dream job, it might be the dream acting role, it might be that dance gig you want it. Once you get there, you're gonna be happy. And I think that that mentality is what makes us mentally decline afterwards, because it's kind of like that's gonna cut that project's got to come to an end sometime. You know that time, and when that comes to an end, how are you gonna feel if you feel like if in your the back of your mind you've been telling me yourself that all you got to do is get there and you'll be great. You're you're not gonna be in such a great place when it has to come to an end. And so I think the truth is just realizing that things come and go, you know, and, and enjoy them for what they are, enjoy them in the moment or, or learn from them in the moment. If you had a bad experience, just learn that, you know, that to not encounter that experience again, you're not gonna take those same steps or those same paths and, and learn that, you know, the happy moments have to come to an end eventually, but there's gonna be happy moments again in the future and you just enjoy them every time they come. Yeah, I think I think people realizing the impermanence of things is is definitely a a relief. It, it can yeah relieve us from stuff. I you know you see friends all the time are like I got fired and they think that they think being fired is, or unemployed is a forever position in that moment and so they agonize over it you know and or people get broken up with or who got in a car accident. But those situations will all work themselves out. That, you know. Thank you so much. I, I think you know you brought up some really, really key things in regards to mental health and, and sort of how we can start to look at things a little bit differently. So thank you for that. And I mean, you know, to definitely wrap this up, thank you so much for just you know being our guest today. And and I'm definitely honored to have gotten a chance to meet you and try your food. I mean. I, I look forward for sure to getting to connect with you in person and be able to try more of your food and, and learn more from, from um, the experience of just connecting with you. So I just want to say thank you, first off. Thank you all for having me. It was a really fun conversation. And, and yeah, being of my first podcast, I, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> so we're going to take this moment for you to shout out everything you want to shout out. So any social media, anything coming up soon, this is your floor. Um, follow me on Instagram with Tartar Tip, W-I-T-H. I'm actually, I, they'll probably link it, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll link it. <laughs> yeah. So follow my Instagram. I do a lot of community work. I just started a new nonprofit called Mahoran, which means something great or something gigantic. And we're doing our first community event May 28th, which is our Lao New Year's festival. So come out, there'll be a lot of great food. My mom will be here. That's always all my, all my followers love my mom more than me. Whenever she comes, I have a longer line than usual. So, so make sure you come out. We'll have our own food booth. There's gonna be an organization food booth as well as other chefs and 
other Lao people who are in the food world will be there as well. And there'll be a lot of cultural activities and entertainment. Um, yeah, I mean, be on the lookout for that show that comes out on Netflix soon. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that's, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Follow my food, follow my Instagram, follow my community work, follow my work. Awesome. Well, guess what we're doing in Maymar, Martin? <laughs> yeah, we're going to the festival and we're going to stream the Netflix show at the same time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're all in line. We'll be watching the show. I'm like, hey, it's him. It's going to be a whole day of tip, right? Yes, exactly. And, and also meeting your mom, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the highlight. <laughs> that's the, the headliner right there. <laughs> cool. For it, so um, I'll go ahead and close this out. So, yeah, thank you so much to our guests. And thank you so much to our listeners uh, for tuning into this episode of Taste and Meeting. So we'll be back with you for our last couple episodes and for our you know big announcements coming up. But um, as always... Um, continue to take care of yourselves and most importantly, take care of others. We'll see you soon.